This summer we have been focusing in on two words from Jesus. Two very simple words. The words are follow me. And we've been focusing in on these words because as followers of Jesus Christ, we want to follow Jesus to the best of our abilities in a way that would glorify and honor him. And one of the questions we have to ask is, is how, how do we go about doing that? And so we look to the disciples, those 12 men who took that call and were transformed by Jesus by following him, these men who sat under his teaching, these men who obeyed his commandments, these men who surrendered their all so that the call of Christ might be evident in their lives. They accepted the call and command, the invitation to follow Jesus. And they weren't the only ones given that. In fact, the Bible talks about in Matthew chapter 16 that this invitation to follow Jesus is given to every one of us. Here's what it says. If anyone, that's you, that's me, that's all of us, wants to follow after Jesus, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You and I have been given the grand opportunity to follow Jesus, to listen to his teachings, to obey his commandments, and to surrender our lives to him. But how do we know if we're doing that well? How do we know if we're on the right path? How do we know if we are instilling the right things into that following of Jesus? Well, this series, Follow Me, is centered on the lives of those 12. Those 12 men that accepted the call. And it's really easy for us to look at this, as we talked about early in this series, to exalt these men, to make them these saints, uh, to build these statues of them, making them seem superhuman. So we look at their lives and we say, well, that's them. That could never be me. Another extreme, another approach is to eviscerate them. That is to harshly criticize them. And so what we do is we say, these men who are held in such high regard, these men that churches are named after and statues are built for, these men did some really foolish things. And if I was really honest with myself and others, if I walked with Jesus, if I talked with Jesus, if I experienced all that these men experience with Jesus, I wouldn't have done those things. I wouldn't have betrayed Jesus. I wouldn't have denied Jesus. I wouldn't have been uh, so foolish, so moronic at times. And to be honest, at times what we do is we harshly criticize them. But this series, which we're almost done with, as we've explored the life of the disciples, we've used them as examples to emulate. The good that these men did the pattern of discipleship that these men showed and, and we learn from them, and we grow from them and we use them as templates, as patterns and that's today what I want to talk about because in the life of Matthew I see Matthew as the quintessential disciple the quintessential template of what discipleship looks like what the starting steps of discipleship are all about templates are things that we use all the time. We use templates to write documents. We use templates to uh, write resumes. We use templates to create websites, to create invoices. We use them to form contracts. We use them in all types of ways for all types of situations. But what exactly is a template? It's been defined as the following. A template is a pre-designed or pre-formatted document, file, or set of instructions that serve as a starting point for creating new documents or projects with a consistent structure and layout. It's the second part of the definition I want to focus in on. 
Templates save time and effort by providing a framework that can be customized and adapted to specific needs. When we talk about Matthew this morning, I want you to see that he's providing for us a framework of what following Jesus is all about. But we just can't imagine that if we just put ourselves exactly in Matthew's situation with the same experiences that the same outcomes will happen. No, a template is a framework. We're going to take what we can learn from Matthew's life so that we can customize and adapt it to our own lives. So there's a pattern. There's a framework. There's a template that Matthew, by his experience with Jesus, is going to set in motion that we can follow as we adapt it to our lives. To do it, I want to look at two scriptures this morning, Matthew chapter 9, and then we will look at Luke chapter 5. So in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 9, uh, starting in verse 9, says the following. As Jesus passed on from there, that is, he was in Nazareth, he had just healed a paralytic man, he travels about 15 miles uh, to the city of Capernaum. It is there he sees a man called Matthew sitting at a tax booth. And he said to Matthew, follow me. And Matthew rose and followed Jesus. And as Jesus reclined at a table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. So go and learn what it, this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. Turning your Bibles to the book of Luke. So Matthew, go through the bar, book of Mark into the book of Luke, Luke chapter 5. And Luke chapter 5 tells the same story. But there's a little more information that we get about this Matthew. First of all, we learn that this man, Matthew, is also named Levi. This is Matthew's Jewish name. We're going to learn that there's a reason why Matthew might have a name for his Jewish friends and a name for his uh, Gentile friends. And here's the reason why. He's a tax collector, it's going to tell us. Now it says, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to Levi, to Matthew, follow me. And leaving everything, Matthew rose and followed him. Now when Levi made him, that is Jesus, a great feast in his house, there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at the disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Two passages about the same situation and moment in time. About the calling of Matthew or Levi. Well, what do we know about Matthew? Very, very little. In fact, in Mark chapter 2, the only thing we know about his early life is that he is the son of Alphaeus. But what we hear three different times is this truth, and it's one I don't want us to pass by, and that is he was a tax collector. Now right away in our mind, in our 21st century thinking, in our Americanized understanding, we think tax collector equals IRS agent. Those couldn't be farther from the truth, especially the kind of tax collector that Matthew was. In fact, tax collectors 
were the most despised of all individuals in Jewish cultures, and here's why. They worked for the enemy. The Jewish people were under the occupation of Rome, and these Jewish individuals worked for Roman authorities to exact Roman taxes to enable the Roman Empire to continue to oppress the Jewish people. Unlike the IRS agents of the day of our day that are well-regulated and, and laudable people doing what we in a democracy need, and that is to exact taxes from its citizenry done through laws and well-observed regulations, the oversight and regulations of first century taxes, especially the kind of taxes that Matthew would glean, uh, were nothing less than extortion and thievery. Now there were two types of, of uh, tax collectors in the day. Uh, there were two types. Uh, one was called the gabais. The gabais, that's how you quickly say goodbye to your friend, the gabai. And then the Gabai were general tax collectors. They were the main tax assessors. These individuals oversaw an entire province, and they would exact taxes through clear explanation of what the taxes were for, when they were to be taken, and what amount of taxes would be received by the government from certain individuals. In Luke chapter 2, we see the Gabai at work. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree where a census should be taken. And every man was called to his hometown so that he could be counted, so that he could be taxed. Everybody knew what they needed to do. There was an explanation of why the tax was being done. The explanation also involved the amount that you had to pay, where you had to pay it. There was an objectivity to the job of the goodbye people. But Matthew wasn't that type of tax collector. In fact, there were three noted tax collectors in the Gospels. Matthew is one which we'll focus in on today. Zacchaeus, remember Zacchaeus? He was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about and think I should stop right now. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. And then there's the tax collector uh, that we will see in a moment in Luke chapter 18. These tax collectors were a part of a second group of tax collecting, and these were called the mooks. I mean, it just doesn't sound good, right? They're the mooks. And the mooks were a gangster collector of taxes. Now, these weren't over a province. But these guys had Roman authority to be in their hometown to glean local taxes from the people. Now this kind of tax collecting wasn't as well regulated. And this then created opportunities for great corruption to take place. Now the taxes would be received on wagons, animals, postage, all types of goods and services. But here's the thing. It was never clear on how much you were going to pay and when you were going to pay. Sometimes it was said in antiquity that, that farmers were paid when they planted crops and when they harvested crops. Sometimes they were taxed for going to a place and coming back from a place. It sounds like the Illinois Tollway Association, right? There was subjectivity to this. There was corruption. As a result of this, 
tax collectors were hated. In fact, almost everywhere in the Bible where it names tax collectors, it names another group, sinners. Tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors were so bad that they had their own group of sinners. You were, were all sinners, but then there's tax collectors. This is seen in Luke chapter uh, 18 where a Pharisee stood by himself and prayed and said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, and adulterers. That's the Mount Rushmore of sinners. But then he goes on and he says, a part of this group, I'm glad I'm not like, and he points out a guy standing outside of the temple. I am so glad, God, you did not create me to be a tax collector. Tax collectors were hated. Tax collectors were defiled. In fact, in the Talmud, which was a commentary uh, of rabbinical writing uh, that commented on the Mosaic law, it was said in the Talmud that God-fearing people were in good stead with God and the Mosaic law if they defrauded, cheated, or stole from a tax collector. Because what it was doing was giving those grievous of sinners a dose of their own medicine, and maybe your thievery would cause them to stop theirs. These guys were hated. So what would cause this mook named Matthew to be invited by Jesus to follow him? Jesus, this rabbi, Jesus, this uh, son of God, Jesus, this man who healed the sick, delivered the oppressed, this one who is now asking a deplorable like Matthew to follow him. Now, I want you to notice that what Matthew declares seems like a moment of happenstance, of chance. Notice in the text it says that Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector. There's no sermon, there's no miracle, there's no debate with the Pharisees that causes this interaction. It is simply Jesus walking and meeting eyes with Matthew. No doubt you've been going about your day and you meet eyes with a stranger. And it's that awkward moment of, am I going to engage with them? Am I going to connect with them or not? But your eyes meet and you glance. Maybe you're like, do I know that person from somewhere? This is what it seems to be. This moment of chance, Jesus happens to be walking by and he catches eyes with Matthew and out of this audacious approach of Jesus, he simply gives no sermon but a word, a phrase, follow me. How it is here that we need to recognize that Jesus, the holiness of heaven meeting all that is evil in this world and tax collecting it meets and it's in this moment i want to give you my first point and that is the reason why matthew serves as a template for us is matthew helps us to understand we need to stop thinking we need to stop thinking that god can't use us if there was a person that god couldn't use it would have been matthew If there was an occupation that Jesus wouldn't want in his inner circle, it would have been a tax collector. I mean, having a tax collector in his midst was going to bring the reviling of the chief priest and the leaders of the day. But this is exactly what Jesus does. Jesus goes to the lowest of lows, to the dirtiest of dirties, and he goes and he invites and he welcomes Matthew into his fold. 
This is what Jesus does all the time. In fact, this is why Jesus came into the world. Jesus said, I came into the world to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus was on an all-out search looking for Matthew. Now, it seems like happenstance. But I want you to know every moment of Matthew's life up to this point was leading to this place, to this moment. Jesus knew it before the foundations of the earth. At this moment, I'm going to call Matthew into my family. I'm going to call Matthew into service. I'm going to call Matthew into a life of faith. Matthew was lost, and Jesus came to find him. And that's what he's doing right now. Jesus is on an all-out search for modern-day tax collectors. For people like you and me who are lost and far from God, Jesus is on a search mission to find you. And when our eyes meet, we need to recognize that Jesus knows way more about us than we do. I want you to notice both in Luke and in Matthew that it says Jesus saw. Jesus saw. Now right away we read through those two words and we're like, okay, we get it, their eyes met. But, but can we just, and I'm going to speculate just for a moment, but I think I've got credence to do so. Can we just agree that when Jesus sees something, it's different than the way we see it? The Bible says that man looks on the outside of a man, the outside appearance of a man, but God looks from within. Jesus being God, when Jesus sees Matthew... He doesn't just see the tunic and the robe that he's wearing, the jewelry that he may have had. He doesn't just see the externals. But when Jesus, being the omniscient Son of God, the all-knowing Son of God, when he sees Matthew, he sees everything. In fact, the Bible says that before Jesus, everything is laid bare. And so when it says that Jesus saw Matthew, Jesus sees everything. When it says Jesus sees us, he sees everything. My friends, he sees the good, he sees the bad, he sees the ugly. He sees the things done in public, he sees the things done in private. He sees every sin. He knows every evil thought. He's been a part of every evil deed. He has seen the things that bring us regret and remorse. He sees the things and knows the things that embarrass us and bring us great shame. Jesus saw all of this in Matthew. He saw his utter and total depravity. And I want you to notice, amidst all of that, there is a great encouragement. Because nowhere in our text do we see that Jesus chastises Matthew. We don't see Jesus condemning Matthew. We don't see Jesus sending Matthew to hell. What we see is Jesus offering an invitation. Offering an invitation to be a part of Matthew's life. An invitation to Matthew by Jesus, follow me. Be my friend. Be my student. Be my representative. Be my spokesman. Be in my family. What an encouragement for all of us. Modern day tax collectors. Despised, broken. Filled with embarrassment and remorse. The devil fills our minds to say everything we've done will keep us far from God. But Jesus is on an all out search to look for us. The Bible says Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. And Matthew is the quintessential template of that. Jesus came for filthy, rotten sinners like you and me. 
and he came not to condemn for there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He came to save you. He came to give you life. He came to give it to you in all abundance and Matthew is a picture of all of that. I love what Corey Temboom says about Jesus with sinners. Jesus loves sinners. He only loves sinners. He's never turned away from anyone who came to him for forgiveness and he died on the cross for sinners, not for respectable people. You don't have to clean yourself up before you come to the cross. Jesus brings the cross to you. And that's what he does in the life of Matthew. And so Jesus invites, and that brings us to the second thing that we need to understand, and that is what we see in Matthew is he said yes when Jesus called. He said yes, and we need to say yes. So we need to know God can use all of us. If he can use a tax collector like Matthew, if he can save a tax collector like Matthew, he can save us. But that means we must say yes when Jesus calls. Now I like what, what Luke says about this. It says... After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi, Matthew, sitting at the tax booth. Now, I want you to notice that Matthew is in the midst of his sin. That's when Jesus finds him. In the midst of extortion and thievery. And he says, follow me. And what does Matthew do? Notice that Luke says, and leaving everything, Matthew rose and followed him. Now, this isn't always the response. When Jesus says, follow me, there are a lot of varied responses. Maybe you're giving some varied responses to Jesus right now. But notice what the Gospels tell us about some of the different responses to Jesus of those who are asked to follow him. It goes like this. As they were going along the road, someone said to Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But that individual said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. To which Jesus says, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God of God. Now this is on the heels. This is at the end of the chapter that Luke talks about this immediate obedience to the call of God. For some of us this morning, we call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, but we have a whole litany of reasons why we're not following. We have all kinds of reasons why we can't follow, why we can't serve. Why we can't be a disciple. Well, I've got this to worry about, and I've got that to worry about, and this season of life is really, really busy, so I'll get to it when the kids are uh, on their own. Or I would serve more, I would give more, if I had more money, if I had more time. We come up with excuses, but Matthew's the quintessential picture of discipleship because immediately he leaves everything. He leaves his occupation, he leaves his money, he leaves his crime, and he leaves without any promise that things will go better, 
Now, why would someone do that? Because I believe that the Spirit of Almighty God is working in Matthew's heart, and Matthew knows that he is pursuing things that will not satisfy. And so when Jesus shows up, and Matthew hears the words, follow me, we have no idea what Matthew knows or doesn't know about Jesus But I do know something about Matthew. Matthew was so hungry for something different that he left everything and immediately followed Jesus. How hungry are you to follow Jesus? How hungry are you to leave everything to follow him? And if there are things that are keeping you from following him, then can I just be very, very plain and honest with you? That's what you're following. The Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So for one of them, it's going to bury dad, family, activities. I got to go do this. I got to go do that. For some of us, we say we're followers of Jesus, but we follow our calendars. We follow our kids. We follow our jobs, all manner of things. We say we want to be followers of Jesus, and Matthew tells us to be a follower of Jesus is to leave everything. To deny ourselves and to take up our cross. What it means is it's a posture of when Jesus comes calling, we say yes. In the Badal home, we say this often, delayed obedience is just a different word for instant disobedience. We think we're setting up some time between us and our obedience, and this is good with us and God, but Matthew shows us complete and immediate obedience is what Jesus is calling for. He left everything. Are you willing to do the same? text goes on and it says that the first things that his followership did for Matthew was the following. Notice in Luke chapter 5 and he made a great meal in his house for Jesus. A great feast. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled at Jesus and his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but call sinners to repentance. What's the first thing that a follower of Jesus Christ does? Immediately, Matthew goes and follows Jesus. And the first thing that comes to mind is he says, I'm going to throw a party. Write that down. There are two things that Matthew does. He throws a party. I'm going to open my home. I'm going to use my resources. I'm going to invest time and energy. And I'm going to throw a party in honor of Jesus. I'm going to use hospitality to honor Jesus. But he doesn't just invite Jesus. He invites his friends. Well, who are his friends? He's a tax collector. So his family probably hates him. Probably doesn't have many friends because he's a turncoat. He's a traitor. He's collecting taxes. He's extorting his neighbors and friends so that the Roman Empire can get money and he can get wealthy. 
This is the same thing Zacchaeus does. So I wonder if Jesus, one of the commands of Jesus to follow him was to right the wrong. Because when we hear the story of Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus says, I will give back fourfold what I've stolen from all of you. And he starts writing checks to each of the people, reimbursing them not only what he took from them, but four times over an act of repentance. And it's here that Matthew does the same thing. He throws a party. He invests time, energy, and money into hosting a great feast in honor of Jesus. But he invites a large company of tax collectors, his associates. Why? Because I think Matthew recognizes what was missing in his life, and he says, but I'm not the only one who had that missing in my life. All tax collectors were missing that. We are despised, longing for acceptance. We are evil, longing for holiness. And so the best thing that Matthew can come up with is, I'm going to throw a party in Jesus' honor, and I'm going to invite a bunch of sinners over who were just like me. Listen to me, Christians. Have we been Christians far too long that we have forgotten what it's like to be a sinner? Have we forgotten the deep longing that as we pursue the things of this world, the power, prestige, the possessions, the pleasures of this world, that it keeps us wanting more. And here comes Jesus and he satisfies the longing of our hearts. Have we forgotten the deep sense of loss as a sinner, of loneliness, of shame? Have we forgotten that? Matthew hadn't. He said, I found Jesus. And I've experienced Jesus. And I know how he filled that longing in my heart. And I know my friends, I know my neighbor, I know my family members, I know my co-workers have that same longing. And so what am I going to do? I'm going to invite them to get close to Jesus. And right away some of you are saying, well, hey, listen, I'm not Billy Graham. I can't do that. Well, notice in the text, both in Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel, no mention of sermons at that party are made. No Christian cliches. No Bible trivia. No prayers are prayed. No Christian movie is shown. No altar call is given. In fact, the only thing we hear about it is this people reclining at the table that means they're having fun they're enjoying good food and just good camaraderie and we get the rebuttal of the pharisees who are angry and the reason why they're angry is it seems jesus is having fun with them which tells us that the way that we connect people this is the first step of discipleship we start bringing jesus into our community we start bringing jesus into our community and we do this how matthew did by building bridges for sinners to get closer to jesus my friends let me ask you how are you building bridges for your neighbors to get closer to jesus how are you building bridges for your co-workers to come to know Jesus? How are you building bridges for your family members, your friends, your schoolmates to get closer to Jesus? 
It doesn't mean we've got to sit there and, and preach at them. Throw a party. And throw a party in honor of Jesus. Have a conversation in honor of Jesus. Connect people to Jesus. And this is how it is. You hear someone's going through a hard time. Well, I've been there as well. And I've struggled with that as well. And here's how I have found peace, hope, and redemption. His name is Jesus. And my life is different because of Jesus. Why do you treat your wife high? Why do you treat your kids the way you do? Because of Jesus. Why do you act the way you do? It's because of Jesus. Can I tell you more about him? No. Okay. Or maybe yes. In the first service, a, a couple came up to me afterwards and said, what you're preaching was what happened to us yesterday. All kinds of things didn't go well with our morning and we found ourselves, our whole morning was different than what we planned. And it created this divine opportunity where a neighbor saw us and we were having some breakfast outside on our patio and we prayed for our meal and our neighbor overheard that. And he gandered over to our house and he said, I heard you were praying. You're religious people. Can I ask your input? Can I get your wisdom about a life decision which created an opportunity for the gospel to be proclaimed? Listen, my friends, opportunities are everywhere. But are we building bridges? Are we looking for opportunities to build bridges? To pray with people? To meet people where they're at? To do as what has been said of evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Matthew found the bread. He found the bread of life. And he would not stop until he told all of his community about it. And he did so in creative ways. He threw a party. What creative ways has God given you? Remember, we don't have to mimic Matthew. Matthew's his own person. But Matthew's a template. And so how can we customize, how can we adapt to our own lives this opportunity of being a bridge builder for sinners to meet Jesus? He threw a party. Number two, he wrote a story. He wrote a story. What do we know about Matthew? Very little. But we know a ton about Matthew. Why? Because he wrote the first gospel. And it's amazing, as you look at the story of Matthew through his gospel, it's all about Jesus. In fact, it's a bit ironic that most of what we glean about Matthew's story isn't just said in Matthew. In fact, we've got to go to Luke to get even more details that Matthew's calling to be a disciple is four verses in the gospel. You would think that when you get to your part of the story, you would tell a whole lot more. But he doesn't. Four verses. Jesus called this man. He doesn't even say, Jesus called me. He keeps out of the story. He makes us have to connect the dots. This Matthew is the one who's writing this. And what you see is, and I think this is really important, I was finishing last night my final thoughts in putting this message together. I prayed as I normally do that God would use this message to impact you, my friends. 
And then there's always, you know, I just kind of take one more look, and I'm always, I'm always hungry for that thing. You know, what, what, what's one more thing that will make the people go, hmm, right? The song must have been playing in our house, okay? Uh, what can I do to illustrate this more? And I found myself thumbing through this man's gospel. And I don't know why I did it, but I just started looking at the opening verses of each chapter of the 28 chapters of Matthew's gospel. And it dawned on me that over 95% of each of the opening verses of each of the chapters of Matthew's gospel directly points to Jesus. And even when it doesn't, he's talking about someone else who's pointing people to Jesus, like John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3. And it dawned on me that this man, who we don't know how he died, we don't know what he did after Jesus was resurrected and ascended to heaven. We don't know how he fulfilled the Great Commission. But we have here Matthew writing to his kinsmen, his Jewish audience, Jesus is everything. Jesus is our priority. Jesus is our focus. Jesus is our greatest pursuit. And friends, this is why Matthew serves as a template for us. Matthew reminds us that none of us are too bad to be used or saved by God. Number two, Matthew reminds us that we need to start saying a whole lot more yeses to Jesus instead of maybes or noes. And Matthew is the template because he shows us what it means to bridge, build for Jesus so that sinners can get closer to him. What story are you sharing? What party are you throwing so that you can show your transformation? You were lost and Jesus found you. Matthew did this because he was so incredibly thankful for the work that Jesus had done. How can we show our gratitude for what Jesus has done? He has found us. He has saved us. And now he's calling us into a relationship with him so that we may tell others about all that we experience in Jesus. Matthew serves as our template. How can we adapt his model, his pattern, to customize it to our lives so that we may honor and glorify Jesus in all that we say and do? Amen.